2: Log Talk Radio. TV tonight. TV tonight. TV tonight. TV, tonight! TV tonight. We're gonna have a TV party tonight. All right. We're gonna have a TV party. All right. Nothing better to do Than watch TV Have a couple of brews Everybody's gonna hang out here Tonight! Alright! We'll pass out on the couch Alright! Tonight! we got nothing better to do Than watch TV Have a couple of brews Don't talk about anything else
1: And tonight our favorite show is Hannibal Season 1, formerly brought to you by the good people at NBC. Uh, This is TV Party Tonight, and I am your host, the mandated reporter, and frankly I'm mortified, Mr. Mark Rattledge. And joining me to bring in the Halloween season with this scary psychological thriller, horror, crime drama television show, is the man that has been waiting to do this all year. He's, he's so excited. He just can't hide it. He's about to lose control, and uh, he, he thinks he likes it. Ladies and gentlemen, the host of the 401 Ground and Pound radio show and formerly the host of Everyone Loves a Villain and the co-host of Damn You Hollywood, he's a podcasting machine, Robert Winfrey. How do you do, sir?
0: Before we get going, Mark, I have some uh, baseless accusations and wild speculation I would like you to respond to.
1: <laughs> oh, I love, I love baseless uh, speculation. Go on.
0: Is it true that you actually conjured Hurricane Irma as an excuse not to view the movie It and then review it with me?
1: You motherfucker! Okay, I heard you say that. I listened to your It review. I did not conjure the hurricane. Okay, but let's get your ass over here because I gotta call you out. I gotta put you on the spot because this motherfucker here is trying to tell me that it's my fault that I didn't get to go see it, and that I and that I brought the hurricane, and that just, and, okay. I want you right now to say into this microphone, whose fault is it that I didn't get to go see it? Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office. That's a lie. That's the goddamn lie. Try again. No, it's (laughs) the sheriff's office. They made you go to work. No, I was gonna go Friday night. And you had to be at work. Oh no, never mind. That was Saturday. I'm sorry. Try again. Why didn't I go Friday night? Because I was sad, and I wanted you to see me. Thank you.
2: (laughs) I was sad. All right, you're dismissed.
1: Okay, bye. Did you get that? See, it's not my fault. I had, I had a ticket. Okay, I had a ticket to the movie, and she, was, and she threw a big hissy fit and made me come home.
2: Wait a minute. Can I, can I defend myself
1: on that? <laughs> I don't know. I think Robert walked off the podcast.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: don't, I don't understand why I'm a bad guy, that I was going to be left on my own devices for up to seven days while my husband made sure the jail was safe.
2: I uh, should like going the jail to have fall. my husband for Go one night.
1: He's saying that um, you, we should have just let the jail crumble into pieces.
2: Well, I don't disagree with him on that. <laughs> there However, no,
1: there's
0: there's no that substantial hours. loss. Evacuate the
1: employees. Let everyone else drown.
0: World's a better place. Uh,
1: I, I made that suggestion more than once. I'll be honest with you. Um, no, no. The truth of the matter was that um, the very next day and for the next couple of days after that, I was going to be marooned at the jail and she decided that she did not want me to come home late. She wanted me to come home, parent, my children, you know, and spend time with the family before I was going to be sequestered for up to seven days.
0: That's the truth. You know, much as I respect your commitment to, you know, the health of your marriage. (laughs) Uh, that, that. Because I mean, I'm I'm really struggling to like fault you because you're already you've already suffered through one failed marriage. You've already hit the statistical mandatory minimum for the average American, Woo-hoo! and so trying to keep this one together makes sense. <laughs> I I mean, I just I deeply resent the fact that you're married and I'm not because. I have to imagine that I could then utilize some similar excuse to get out of any number of crappy movies you're making me see next year.
1: <laughs> uh, well, we're not, quite, we're not quite there yet, so let, let's let focus on the Seriously, crappy movies and that we can this year. I would rather spread
0: Legos across every surface of this house and be forced to walk barefoot every day for a month rather than sit through Pitch Perfect 3.
1: I'm not making you review Pitch Perfect 3. And that's this year. <laughs> no, I'm not.
0: I could have sworn December we were
1: doing that one. Anyway. I, no, I don't, I don't want to go see it. No, the December movies are as follows: um, there's a TV party for The Crown. There's nothing the week that uh, Star Wars comes out because I refuse to work that week. Uh, we're reviewing Star Wars, we're reviewing Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle, and that's it, babe. <laughs> that's, that's all there is for, for uh, the, the month of December.
0: All right, can I get out of Geostorm with the same request no. then? Ah, damn it! Nope. All right. Um, onto a slightly Geostorm's more Geo Storm's
1: serious... going to be going to be so good. Mark, <laughs> it's going to be awesome.
0: Mark, you're polluting what should be a very pure and enjoyable podcast for me with your discussion about terrible movies. Oh, oh sorry. All right.
1: um' let, let's move they're on to... turning it into a
0: conspiracy thriller. Okay. Have you not seen like As the I latest previews talking about how Geostorm I, is actually a conspiracy look, movie?
1: Let me let me tell you. I don't know if you've heard the latest on trial, but my my defense of Ballistic X versus Sever was that explosion porn is a thing, and people shouldn't be faulted for liking it. Uh, we all have different likes, and that and Ballistic succeeds like explosion at the, porn. Fine. I'm not gonna you know
0: kink shame you for okay. a better phrase. So, I'm going, so going to tell we're, you we're, you are doing yourself a massive disservice by not exposing yourself to the best versions of said okay. and, of whatever that is. And well, as my, a guy who actually – I'm a guy who has been – I like disaster movies. I have been known to, of my own volition, watch The Day After Tomorrow.
1: Okay. Well, that's the part of why we're doing Geostorm is I like disaster movies. I like explosion porn. And as long as I get to see, you know, entire cities destroyed by Mother Nature, I'm fine with it. I don't need there to be a heavy plot. Again, that was my defense of Ballistic X vs. Silver. It is successful, and only successful as it is explosion not successful As explosion born. Now, That movie is 80% things blowing up and being shot at. It is the
0: pornography equivalent of amateurs with a shaky camera GoPro.
1: Oh, stop it. There is, we, better, we talk
0: about, there is exponentially better I don't care if you like the genre Find better, ver- find better entries into it So how about we talk about Hannibal? Yes, please um, Oh, here's the other thing I wanted to warn everyone about As far as me and this show This is the fifth time I have devoted either an entire podcast Or a non-trivial portion of a podcast To talking about the television show Hannibal if you listened, and this is in the Wayback Machine, mind you, all this is in the archives here on the Rad and Broadcasting Network, so you can check through the iTunes or uh, Blog Talk Backlog. You can find the material I'm about to cite if you feel so inclined. My solo, the first ever solo cast of Everyone Loves a Bad Guy, where I talked about the character of Hannibal Lecter for 90 minutes or so, I devoted the last portion of that about 20, 30 minutes to Madge Mickelson's portrayal on the, this on the television series, this the television series had only had one season, I believe. At that point, I might have been it might not even have finished the first season. When the season was canceled, and the series was canceled after season three, Benjamin J. Cologne, who is nearly as big a nerd as I am about Hannibal-related material, got together for two hours to do a series retrospective. When the aforementioned Benjamin and I guest-starred on the two-part Hannibal film review on The Long Road to Ruin, I believe we frequently cited the television show as a point of compare and contrast for where some of those movies went off the rails. This is number five. And the fact that I have done this before four times and still would have insisted on being a part of this show had Mark not asked me to be, should tell you everything you need to know about how much I love this television series. This is probably oh, I, I my favorite the... series of all time. Not the best, but my personal favorite.
1: And that's fine. And I think that's why, you know, before the show started, I was probably going to lean on you tonight because um, I, I, think it's, I think it's good Um, it's well shot. It's well acted. It's not my favorite thing that I've ever seen and that's okay. You know, I didn't love it, but, um, I, you know, I, I, it took me about two days to binge watch the whole, two sittings to binge watch the whole thing. And, you know, it was fine, but I am always curious. I mean, when I talk about my favorite, these are a few of my favorite things. Um, when I talk about like The Wire or The Shield, um, you know, I can pretty eloquently discuss why they're my favorites. What are the what are the common elements about them that make me almost yearly re binge watch The Wire? You know, why did, why was I so excited uh, to watch The Shield every week when it was on FX? And so I'm interested in you know why other people are in love with what they love. And, you know, you're a thinker, you're a talker. This shouldn't be too hard for you to put out there for the public. What are the elements of this show that make it one of your favorites, if not your very favorite of all time?
0: Well, first of all, I have a deep affinity for the source material. This should not come as a surprise to anyone who knows me. Uh, I read... Red Dragon and Silence of the Lambs and Hannibal when I was 16, I think the first time. I can still vividly remember the first time I actually watched Silence of the Lambs as a movie. Uh, it, I have a general fascination with the macabre to begin with that I can't necessarily trace the genesis of. So, there's all that. There's a lot that I am predisposed to liking simply because of my general likes that I, again, I'm not going to get into the the deep psychology of why I am potentially intrigued by things that repel other people and vice versa, necessarily. I love the acting. What really struck me about this show, and we can get into finer details later if you feel so inclined, you gave a bunch of Talented but somewhat unknown actors. I mean, coming into this this uh, series, Lawrence Fishburne is probably the biggest name actor attached to it, and he is not one of the two leads. And you give them the opportunity to, you know, play extraordinarily iconic characters. I mean, Hannibal Lecter is still one of the most memorable and one of the best film villains uh, ever, according to you know people who actually rank crap like that. So you not just have, you don't just have to take my word for that guys. Uh, and rather, and I love the way everyone approached it because rather than simply try to do another version of what had already been done, everyone involved had their own take, had something different to bring to the table uh, again, Mads Mickelson, because he's Hannibal, is the chief example of this, and it's one of my favorite things. I There are so many great moments from him that are so very subtle, which is what you need for a character like that under these circumstances. Rather than play the version of Hannibal that Anthony Hopkins did, because you're never going to – there is no equaling or surpassing that version of Hannibal Lecter try to do, if that is your goal, is going to come off as either derivative or (sighs) insulting. I mean, it's one of the biggest drawbacks to Hannibal Rising, in addition to that movie just kind of sucking in general, is that the poor actor, um, Gaspar Uliel, is essentially doing an impression of Anthony Hopkins as Hannibal Lecter. And Mads Mickelson, rather than even try to do what Anthony Hopkins did when he, and Bri- when he uh, was interviewed by Brian Fuller about taking the job, expressed some of his inspiration for the character. And Mickelson draws more on Satan, not as a, uh, legitimately. Like his interpretation of Hannibal Lecter was less kind of the savage that Anthony Hopkins portrayed. And more the devil made flesh constantly tempting others to do to act in their
1: worst uh, on their worst instincts, can I cut in here for a second sure so that's that's actually a great point, and one that I want to draw a big circle around because you know if you look at now having seen all of the movies uh for long Road to ruin and then uh binge watching this this first season I think making you know an actor's choice to try to uh ape imitate Anthony Hopkins would have been a, would have been an insult to the character in the time frame that they're portraying him that uh, that that Nicholson is portraying him this is before uh, he's caught and known to be a cannibal. And, and the thing about Anthony Hopkins, especially in Silence of the Lambs, he's sort of reveling in the fact that he's seen as this horrible monster. And so, you know, he's screwing around a lot with Clarice through the movie. And, of course, he does some pretty heinous and terrible things. And I'm focusing just on Silence of the Lambs for a moment. But, you know, same thing in Red Dragon. Um, for the most part. Though Silence of the Lambs to me was more memorable other than the first five minutes of Red Dragon. In any case, if you're, it wouldn't make any sense for Mads Mikkelsen to have portrayed him as this psychopathic monster because he hasn't been caught yet. He's still, he's still living his life and doing his thing and, st- you know, and manipulating events to cover his tracks. So playing him like Satan, um, you know, the, the, the Satan who tempts you, the Satan who tries to corrupt you, makes total sense and it is an intelligent choice by Mickelson. And I really have to applaud him for his performance as Lecter in keeping it subtle, especially towards the end. And we'll talk about this when we actually get to looking at the episodes. But the way he manipulates... Uh, the events and specifically Will Graham, despite Will Graham's best efforts to retain his sanity and his innocence, the way he he does it, I mean, he evokes anger, I think, from the audience, you know, you or at least from me. I was angry watching him because I, he's such a shitbag, and yet he's so smart about it. And that's not the way Anthony Hopkins portrayed the character. It was very, very different. But then, again, it's the same character at two different points in his life in two different settings. You know, so I, 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 I hope that makes sense to you. But I just wanted to make sure that we talked about that, and I, and I gave my input in uh, how you can't play that character the same before and after he gets caught. It's almost two different characters. Oh, it's his version.
0: Ah, you just touched on things I really want to talk about that actually like take place in later seasons. So I'm okay. Kind of biting. Um, you haven't seen like you haven't seen outside of season one, right? No, I, I okay.
1: got this. I got the to the end of season one, and then I had to go shopping for my lunch for the next two days.
0: No, no, that, that, that's so... fine. <laughs> just, there are things that you brought up that I would love to talk about that pertain to uh, specifically season three parts of season two as well,
1: but lightly again, because lightly
0: limiting this is one, on I'm biting my tongue a
1: bit. Hang on. No, no, go do, do, do me a favor. Lightly touch on those points, but do it in 50 words or less. Just give, give us a, give us a small taste and then go back to, you know, what, why you love this so much.
0: Um, Okay, in 50 words or less, the the entire circumstance, and this is a – I will try not to spoil the circumstances, and I hope that this event transpiring doesn't necessarily constitute a spoiler for you. The circumstances surrounding Hannibal being taken into custody in the television series are markedly different, And and not just in a narrative way from how it takes place in, again, the source material, the entire, the character choices that are made are significantly different. And the time that and once Hannibal is in captivity, he's a very different version of uh, he is still in a sense the same character rather than becoming kind of what Anthony, the version that Anthony Hopkins portrayed. It's one of my, and this goes out to everyone involved in this show, rather than try to do what had already been done so well, they all simply took different, slightly different takes on those characters. There's slightly different takes regarding events that transpire because Brian Fuller, God bless him. Uh, was specifically told he couldn't use any characters originating in Silence of the Lambs because the rights for that are owned by a different company. And they just didn't want them used. So there's things he has to write around. And he does so very, very well.
1: Isn't Jack Crawford in Silence of the Lambs? He doesn't originate in Silence of the Lambs. Okay. Okay. So any characters that were introduced in Silent Silence of the Lens he can't use. So he can't use Coleries, in other words. Or Buffalo Bill.
0: Or cat or Got the you.
1: uh Catherine
0: Martin, Senator Martin. But uh, how again. About have... Mi-
1: how, how about multiple MiGs?
0: I don't think so.
1: I think that's re- <laughs> that he originated in.
0: Again, like the, well, part of this is that the rights for this stem from what was created in the books, not what was created on film. Mm-hmm. And since Red Dragon was written first and features both Jack Crawford, Will Graham, and Frederick Chilton, they're fair game.
1: Gotcha. I have a question.
2: Yeah,
1: um, sure. How close – in a compare and contrast, how close is the movie, is the TV show to Red Dragon, the book? Like, which, which one hits the mark closer?
0: You have not gotten to the Red Dragon portion of the television series. That is the last half of season three.
1: Really? Okay. So this whole season one was made up out of whole cloth, basically.
0: There are things that are discussed in the books that are utilized here, but the whole conception for this television series is essentially a prequel to Red Dragon, because Red Dragon, as a novel, occurs after Hannibal has already been captured.
1: Huh. So the movie actually then comes closer comes closer to the to, to the novel. The movie
0: is a very accurate representation of that novel,
1: apart from you that know was what I was the want- bot. That was what I was wondering because I kept, because as I watched season one, I couldn't help myself but compared to the first five minutes of Red Dragon where Ed Norton and Anthony Hopkins are so chummy, you know, and there isn't, there isn't like, like if, if the events of what happens in season one of Hannibal um, led up to the first five minutes of the movie Red Dragon, their relationship should have been markedly different. And I'm like, how does this connect in any way to that movie? And And it clearly doesn't.
0: No, a, yeah, a lot of what is done in
1: this season, the first half
0: of season two, is it's stuff that is either touched on in some of the novels or stuff that Brian Fuller has created to kind of showcase and you know, tell his story.
1: I don't uh, want to skip ahead into into a season I haven't watched yet. Um, nor, nor do I want to spend too much time talking about these things out of order, but it became very clear to me by the end of season one that at least on some level, Will Graham knows that Hannibal Lecter is a murderer, has at least murdered somebody. Oh, he knows. He yeah.
0: knows the extent of what Hannibal is, basically, by the end of this season. is kind of what that whole... I love the final shot of this season. Because yeah, it's let's, just okay, them staring no, at each other. And yeah, it's let's, their let's first put a pin in time, that. Let's,
1: it's their first let's time really seeing because, each
2: other.
1: <laughs> right. Let's put a pin in that. Let's come back to it because, uh, you know, because, again, we should probably do this in order. And that deserves its own discussion, but I want to lead up to it. So um, any last words on why you love this so, so much? It's just like,
0: and this is weird, but... It's everything that appeals to me in terms of how it is presented, the way it's shot, the way it's framed, some of the uh, you know, the violence, which I'm a fan of. The acting is tremendous. The writing is really, really good. It's – again, like if you were to just distill my personal interests into a television series, you would probably get this.
1: All right, so basically Hannibal is to you what The Wire is to me. In a lot of respects, yes. Although I
0: freely acknowledge The Wire is a better television show.
1: Well, yeah, well, let's, let's not compare. They're, they're two different animals. Um, all right. So, I'm not going to lie. I had a real difficult time following this at the f- first couple of episodes, and I had to go back and like read what was happening. Um, it, it's, it, it's a, it was a little all over the road for me, and maybe I'm just a dummy. Um, but, like, oh, there's a lot, especially in the first episode, there's a lot that sort of just jumped out there, um, a lot of names being thrown around. And, uh, like I said, it, it took me – I didn't watch it again, but it took me watching it and then reading the plot synopsis on Wikipedia to make some connections. And then definitely as the series progressed and I thought about, you know, as we got into the second half of the season – I would think about the first half and go, "Oh, okay, this this is now making a little bit more sense to me." I will also tell you, I much preferred the second half to the first half. The first half that that just focused so much on, uh, oh gosh, what what is this gal's name? Um, Abigail. Abigail. It focused so much on Abigail and her dad, and they kept coming back to it. Uh, let me tell you what my expectations were. You always like to ask me that on Damn You Hollywood. I honestly thought this was going to be more of a murderer of the week, and to some degree it is. I mean, there was a couple of episodes that focused on new, new people and new crimes they were trying to solve. Um, but I, I thought it was going to be more of a murderer of the week collaboration between Will and Hannibal, and, that was, you know, and it was going to be a little bit more CSI focused. Um, it's not. <laughs> you know it toys around with those elements to a degree but that's not the heart of the show the heart of the show is definitely relationships between people um at least for the first half of it and 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 it's almost if if you had to pick one singular thing that drives the show it's will graham and his descent into madness um you know he in the very first episode I'm going to apologize. I I don't want to do full episode synopsis. Um, If you're listening to this podcast, you've probably seen the show. You know what happens. I don't want to bog... We have a lot to talk about, and I don't want to bog this down in in just reading plot synopsis. So we know that in the first episode, he shoots the father, uh, and he does this in front of Abigail, and he spends the next couple of episodes feeling guilty about that and whatnot. And I'll tell you and I'll let you react to this. It kind of drove me a little nuts. That's a personal thing. That's not a criticism of the acting. That's just my visceral reaction to watching that kind of character. Um, I I don't know what it is about me in particular that wants wants my cops to be a little bit more sure-footed. But that's not this character, and it made me a little crazy <laughs> to sort of watch him struggle and wrestle with what was clearly his, his duty that he was fulfilling. You know, he had just watched this guy murder the, the wife and then nearly murder the daughter. Why wouldn't you shoot him? And, and we can kind of kick that around and talk about it.
0: One of the things that you, I'm going to circle back to things that I like about this show in general that you're that I didn't get a chance to bring up previously because otherwise I'd, we'd be here for 90 minutes just on that. I get what you're saying about, you know, why would you feel bothered by killing someone under these circumstances? It seems perfectly reasonable. And a lot of that has to do with the issues that will graham has i mean even absent the uh encephalitis we find out he has later i as someone who is most likely undiagnosed asperger's syndrome i liked that they made no bones about will graham falling somewhere on the spectrum uh by his own admission he is more towards you know, Asperger's and uh, maybe in slightly lower level autism, then towards psychopathology, which shares some startlingly similar brain chemistry and uh, behavioral patterns. He doesn't make eye contact very much because it is uncomfortable for him. So, whereas someone like, talking about this Jack Crawford, wouldn't think twice about shooting this individual, wouldn't lose a moment of, uh, you know, wouldn't lose a wink of sleep over it someone who has some of the disorders that he has in addition to his his unique ability is the is um described as that of pure empathy. He can adopt the point of view of anyone. And if you're constantly having to adopt and fully like deeply understand the way you know, violent serial killers think and behave, it's a you know, the act of taking another life is something you're probably a lot more hyper-vigilant about. Whereas if you are the average police officer, and I don't mean that disparagingly, you're of a different mindset, a different emotional and psychological makeup. Again, Jack Crawford shoots people a couple of times in the show and it does not bother him. He's bothered by other things. In the case of Will, it is, is this the... how at what point am I going to cross a line I can no longer come back from? And a lot of people who have varying issues of you know mental illness that's something that is constantly struggled with. And he is a, in this case, a, there's a physical manifestation of that internal struggle for him.
1: Do they ever get into at any point in the series? And, and I don't want details if they do, um, I just want to know, yes or no. Do they ever actually get into what drove him out of the field in the first place? Cause it's dis- cause it's discussed sort of after the fact, like, you know, he's broken or, you know, you knew you should never have put him back in the field in the first place and this and that and the other thing. Uh, but I never got any details as to what drove him out of the field in the first place.
2: Uh,
0: they don't go into it specifically the closest we get to actual like background in this season and I think in the whole series, I I mean, I'm gonna have to rewatch seasons two and three now just because I do. Uh, he struggled and it it does get brought up. He was he would struggle to actually use lethal force if necessary. Because he was, you know, worried about what that would do to him. And the other issue was he tried uh he failed the FBI qualifications because of his again, Asperger's or uh, whatever it ha whatever it again, they never like they never deeply go into his specific issues, but whatever emotional issues he has, they prevented him from fully qualifying as a field
1: agent. Okay. Um, the other, there, there's a element of the whole first season, and I'm assuming the second and third season to some degree or another that I loved <laughs> as much as Will Graham, the character drove me up a wall uh, as a viewer, I did enjoy Mad Mickelson's uh, portrayal of Hannibal Lecter. I especially enjoyed every dinner scene in this series. Now, some might say it gets a little repetitive, but if you could see the twinkle that Mad Mickelson is able to produce in his <laughs> eye when he's knowingly feeding people to people, <laughs> you know, it's and great. they're telling him how delicious it is, it's fucking awesome. And I never got tired of it. And as, a, and as a guy who really does enjoy his chef programs, I, I was very much – I would find myself, like, not listening to the dialogue, but looking at the plates of food and going, oh, my God, that, that does look delicious. When he was – and I think it's this first episode where he's cooking the part of – he's cooking the lung, and he's eating yeah. it. Like, oh, that, that's damn – that looks damn good. You know, I was always very I, fascinated by what he was cooking.
0: I freak people out when I tell them this series makes me hungry.
1: <laughs> it does, man. I, I have no there's desire a, to eat people, but you know, if we could substitute animal food, you know, animal flesh for what he's cooking, and but come up with the same plates, damn, I'd eat that.
0: There's a non-trivial amount of food porn that goes into this series throughout it, and it's
1: all glorious.
2: <laughs> hmm.
1: The animal Electric can cook for me anytime. I just insist that it not be people, which I guess you know would ruin the whole thing. But um, I don't. Like I said, I don't want to get stuck on, uh, on you know talking too much about any one episode. So, is there anything else here about uh, episode one that you feel bears discussion? If not, we're moving on to the next couple episodes.
0: It's a perfectly serviceable introduction for everyone, and honestly. There's a few things about this. One, Hugh Dancy winds up like stealing a lot of this series with his acting. And it gets better in season two when he's not having to portray someone suffering from an inflamed brain. Because there's a very physiological component to what he does throughout the first season that is influenced by the physical illness that his character is suffering from. Okay, Once maybe I won't goes, hate him as much. Eh, you probably will just because you're you.
1: <laughs> You're not Vic Mackey, who gives a fuck, right? That's me all over.
0: Yeah, I I love when Hannibal calls uh the Hobbs residents right before he and Will are going to show up. Because he creates his own opening to do so in is spilling some papers. And uh, I mean, watching him is as- watching Han- this version of Hannibal takes me back to when I used to play chess because that's how he does things, and that's, a lot, that's in a lot of respects how he views the world. He's just moving pieces around. But he creates an opening by spilling paperwork, then makes kind of a half step towards fixing it, knowing full well that Will, being the generous human being that he is, is going to volunteer to clean it up in his stead, affording him this very minuscule opening where he can push a button and see what happens.
1: Right. So, let's move on to episode two a Amouche-Bouche. Bush um, Wogram is now the uh, special investigator for the FBI and there and, and this one was one of the murderer of the weak ones. This one was a guy who uh, a pharmacist who preys on diabetics and uses them as fertilizer to grow mushrooms. I loved that I thought that was I fucking loved, great.
0: I, I loved the
1: visuals in this episode, just all of those people yeah. you know, being
0: fed being turned into fungus it was
1: glorious. Um, there's not a whole lot uh here other than, you know, Will starts to open up to Hannibal Lecter a little bit more, but I'm I'm just kind of skimming through the plot synopsis and I don't and again, they, they, they focused on catching this one particular uh murderer and there's some you know, there there are some therapy sessions between Graham and Lecter. Uh, you know, that that's always good. Exchanges of dialogue. Not a whole lot else happening here. I I love the episode. I thought it was great, and you know, and I and I agree. There's some really gross stuff in this show, but this was fun. This was a fun kind of uh, a fun series of visuals, and you know, again, as somebody who likes the procedural um, cop shows, you know, investigation shows. Before, you know, before the series gets way heavy on the psychological, this was just a fun episode.
0: Uh, The big thing from this episode going forward is the introduction of Freddie Lowndes, who – this is another one of those things that I feel needs to be brought up in terms of actors, you know, taking over great characters from great actors. Because, in this case, I am, however, pointing the blame squarely at one android – by the name of Brett Ratner, as to why this didn't work out better the first time. Because Freddie Lowndes in the film Red Dragon is portrayed by Philip Seymour Hoffman, who I shouldn't have to explain to you is a tremendous actor. But because Brett Ratner has all the artistic ability of tree stump, he wound up just kind of reciting dialogue for a character that could have been a, a complete scumbag. And when that character is introduced here, she's a complete scumbag. And I am still deeply, deeply bothered by the fact that two things pertaining to this character. One, that she didn't suffer the same fate as her counterpart. And two, that I wanted her to suffer that fate. And it says something slightly <laughs> disturbing about me, that I wanted her to be immolated. <laughs> Okay. Uh, Beyond that, I I don't think there was too much else from this episode that kind of caught my attention. I do want to say one of the other things I like about this show is that while it is very clearly the Will and Hannibal – it is Will and Hannibal-centric, it is not Will and Hannibal-exclusive. The forensic team that they work with have not deep characters, but they are unique characters – and they do make an effort to kind of point out that while Will is able to intuit things, there's an evidentiary backup for, what, for the conclusions he makes. He's not just throwing crap at the wall to see what sticks. He's able to arrive at these conclusions because of his abilities, and then the evidence winds up more often than not supporting what he has leapt to, which is, a, is completely different from you know, doing that the other way around.
1: I have to say also, it's a fun cast for me. There were appearances, and when, when we get to episode six, Entree, uh, I, you know, I'll talk about two, two guest appearances that I really enjoyed because I like the actors. But, you know, one of the CSI guys is uh, from the kids in the hall. <laughs> it's like, you know, and I remember that show, and he's not exactly a comedic figure in this one. He's a pretty serious, act, uh, serious character just doing a job. Um, you know, he's not cracking wise many of the times he's just, and it, it was kind of fun to see him step out of, you know, what, what was a very, what was a very silly show. I don't know. Did you ever watch Kiss in the Hall? I did not. Okay. So do you have any idea who I'm talking about? Not a one. Fantastic. Um, give me a second here and, uh, let me see if I, Oh, Scott Thompson, Jimmy, um, who plays Jimmy Price? He was the comedian uh, from The Kids in the Hall. Okay, which was a sketch comedy show. Okay, I
0: take your word for it.
1: From Canada, as I remember correctly. Yes, in 1984, he became a member of The Kids in the Hall uh, that ran on the, the that ran on the CBC and HBO, and then moved to CBS for the fourth and, sixth, fourth and fifth seasons. So now you know. And again. It, even though apparently he's been in a shit ton of things and um he's not somebody that I've that I've necessarily seen a lot of in what I've watched. So to see him show up in this, I was like, Oh, that's pretty cool. Well, good, good for you, man. Especially getting this such a serious uh serious show. All right, um moving on to episode three here, Potage. Uh the big thing here is that oh, Abigail that, hurt. Uh, that, that that like physically what? hurt Mark. My, you're pronouncing your, your it wrong.
0: Your French pronunciation just like is physically painful.
1: <laughs>
0: I believe that is more accurate. Yes. Uh, for, for those yeah. of you who don't know, the names okay. of the names of all of these episodes are courses of uh, after a course you would
1: take uh, for a meal. Yeah. I'm going to continue to ruin the French language and everything that gets in my way. I hope. Oh, I can't wait for season two it.
0: when it goes to because uh, season one is all <laughs> French courses. Season two is Japanese.
1: Fantastic. Um, so here, we, so so let's talk about potage for a moment. Um, Abigail Hobbs wakes up from her coma, um, and the big thing here is that she's eventually attacked by the brother of. Uh, of who, uh, of a girl who was impaled, named Marissa, who was the neighbor. Uh Nicholas like basically like attacks her and she fucking guts him like a fish. At which point she is found by Lecter. Lecter says, "Hey, you need to cover this up or you're going to go to prison for murder." Uh, you're He's ignoring manipulating like the parts of the show uh,
0: of this episode.
1: Well, hang on. Let me let me finish go ahead, go ahead. and then we can go back. So uh, selector so finds her and says, hey, you got to cover this up, at which point she realizes he, he's the one that warned the dad that they were coming for him, um, and so they, they, they agree they're going to keep each other's secrets. Th- those, are the, those are the seemingly big details as far as plot stuff goes uh, of this episode. Now, do you want to talk about the visuals here, or the impaled girl and all of that?
0: Uh, some of the visuals are fine. No, what There's a very distinctive, um, for want of a better phrase, action style, that, uh, not style is really the wrong word here. Um, There's a tool, I suppose is probably more accurate, that is utilized by the directors in various episodes of this show that I find fascinating, and it is extremely violent action that occurs out of essentially nowhere. There is no setup. There is no... Again, what we as viewers are conditioned to view as, you know, either rising tension or a setup for an action sequence or an action shot. There's things that we are conditioned to look for to set those things up. And throughout this show, peppered throughout it, this isn't a crutch or anything... There will be a seemingly normal series of events that is suddenly interrupted by some act of violence. And we are introduced to that first here as Alana is confronting uh, Abigail and from off camera, Hannibal Lecter, cold coxer. <laughs> Uh, it will be used again later in this se- in this series, and there's a tremendous use of it in uh, season three. Uh, again, again, the visuals are all good. Um, I'm trying to remember what I really do like the dialogue uh, as Lecter is convincing. App Ab- is like, <sighs> God, how do I phrase this? It's the it is a masterful bit of manipulation as he is slowly steering Abigail towards taking the course of action he wants her to take. And his point is just to not only get her there, but to make her believe she arrived at this course of action essentially under her own will. And it's and. it's really wonderfully written, and Mickelson's... His acting throughout this whole series is a subtle is a study in subtlety that a lot of pe- a lot of people would do well to you know actually
1: study. You know, this got a lot of uh, a lot of high reviews, but um, I don't know how well, comparatively speaking, it did in the ratings. I mean. <sighs> Excuse me. I know it wasn't. I know it wasn't renewed for a fourth season because by that point the, the ratings were low enough that it de- that it would it would deemed canceling. Uh, you're you're but, you're you're punching me in the heart, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> I only bring it up because you know it's the kind of thing that we talk about a lot on Damn You Hollywood, where you and I and certainly many others can appreciate a quiet film. A you know more le- le- for the Planet of the Apes. Okay. We, we talked about that when we reviewed the movie. Once you get past, you know, what you thought the movie was going to be and you end up with something very, very different, there's, there's the idea of, you know, you can appreciate a movie that is quiet, that is thoughtful, uh, that is lacking in a lot of action, but it's not going to appeal to the masses. It may, it may do okay in, in, a, in, in a short run, but I think over the long haul, you're going to lose people because they would be like, why doesn't he eat more people? Why don't the monkeys fight more? You know, I, I'm <laughs> looking at both, look, both pieces of, uh, of art here. Uh, you're,
0: you're not wrong, and again, I, I understand, and the production, the budget for this show was not exactly small, and a non-trivial portion of it went to those fabulous suits Mads Mickelson wears.
1: um i I talked about that with Pat for sex drugs and rock and roll if you have a series that has an enormous budget for you know to do the kinds of things you want to do with it whether it be live musical performances uh or you know the the kinds of visual uh the, the kind of visuals they use in this show you know in terms of like you know, mounting people on antler horns and you know or ripping their skin off and displaying you know like for wings and shit like that uh if you if your ratings aren't high enough to warrant it you're getting canceled if you'd like a study on this go look at what happened with HBO's Rome Rome had a retarded budget you know and you know because they wanted to make it look as close to what you know Rome as as that's possible, and it only lasted two seasons because it didn't do very well, uh, and it didn't it didn't do well enough to warrant the budget that it had. Whereas something like Game of Thrones, which also has an enormous budget and takes forever to shoot, is obviously one of HBO's uh, biggest hits. So you know it it it's going for you know now going to be eight seasons or you know seven seasons but split in half. Um, all right. Episode four. I don't even know how to pronounce this. It's it's, it's O-E-U-F. <laughs> I looked on Wikipedia. It said, like, Yoof. I don't know. I'm not French. Well, how, how do you pronounce that, Robert? I don't know. Okay.
0: I, I will um, accept your just, attempted French pronunciation. This is actually the episode that got pulled from broadcast in the U.S. The only one, mind you.
1: Really? Um, oh, this I, was set to briefly... air like less
0: than a week after the Sandy Hook shootings.
1: Yeah, well that makes sense.
0: Well, and so this was it was a, pulled. This... Hang on, it was actually pulled because Brian Fuller, the showrunner, thought that just you know all things considered, it would detract from the audience's enjoyment, despite it not actually dealing with you know the material, the you know, the real life issues that led into that particular event.
1: No, but uh, it does was a... deal with children, and it wouldn't have been hard to you know. To, to link the two. I mean, I just, and, and I, don't, I don't want to just, I don't want to talk about this for very long, but when they start dealing with Jack Crawford's wife's cancer for a few episodes, <laughs> hey, guess that. what? I had a hard time watching that. I, you know, I, I made it through, you know, because I'm, I'm, you know, I've got pretty thick skin, believe it or not. But I was like, yeesh. <laughs> you know, when they when they, they discovered that she's got I'm skipping ahead here, but when they discovered that she's oh, can got I, cancer and they were talking about it I openly say, I was like, ugh, I don't need this
0: Can I just say I love that scene in episode 5 where he puts it together that that's what she has Yeah and Because Lawrence <laughs> Fishburne is in a lot of crap Alright, let's be clear <laughs> But every now and then you're reminded that he's actually a pretty good actor and watching him And towards the end of episode five, independent of being told, come to the realization that, oh, crap, my wife has cancer. And still have to kind of, you know, keep a degree, react to it, but keep a degree of professionalism because of the circumstances in at the time. It's a beautiful bit of acting by Lawrence Fishburne that I really just doesn't get enough credit for this series in particular, because he plays a character who is very straight-laced. So when that breaks a little bit at, in times and in places, uh, it, it really does. It really is to be commended that he does it so convincingly.
1: Yeah, it's good stuff. Back to episode four here. Um, this one's another murderer of the week. We have uh, Molly Shannon, who was another uh, fun appearance for me, because, again, I, I associate Molly Shannon with Saturday Night Live, um, and I don't, oh, I don't necessarily like a lot of what she's been in, uh, but she plays a great character in this and it's fun to see her again, step out of some of the silly roles that she plays and, uh, do something a bit more serious, but, which I, which, when we get to episode six, I could go on a huge, uh, monologue about Eddie Izzard. Um, and use the exact same words, but anyway, back to Molly Shannon. Uh, she's she's playing a, a woman who, if I remember correctly, basically like kidnaps and brainwashes boys and so you know and gets them to kill their families. Um, so this was an interesting episode. It was sort of a fun murderer of the week investigation. Uh, th- as far as Graham and such, that's pretty much all they're involved with the other, the other half of the episode deals with Hannibal Lecter and Abigail. Um, Lecter gets her out of the state hospital, gives her mushrooms. Uh, There's a, there's a uh, argument between Lecter and Bloom about, you know, how she should be treated and when she, you know, and whether or not she should leave the hospital. Anything else of note to your recollection?
0: No, not really. Um, There's, there's, I tend to believe there's too much Abigail throughout a significant portion of this season.
1: Yeah, there is. It's not, it's, it's a big part of why I don't love this. I I love the first season. Uh, I just, there was too much focus on, on Abigail who I don't find to be an interesting character and, and the dad and, you know, granted the dad's dead, but you know, how killing the dad weighs on, uh will's conscience it just it drove me insane
0: I found the other half more acceptable because Hugh Dancy's acting to me is much more interesting than you know abigail's but
2: mm.
1: uh episode five coke Coquille co- okay Co-key. Co-key. um cookie cookie okay cookie cookie um that <laughs> so this is this is the Angel Wings one, if I remember correctly, uh, correct. where the murderer of the where the murderer of the week is uh, cutting up the victim so that their uh, their arm skin looks like wings. Yeah, this one is one of the ones I thought was pretty gross. Uh, this is, there's a lot of dealing with Jack and his wife in this one. Um, she reveals to him that she's got terminal lung cancer. Which again, I was like, uh, <laughs> I already had this
0: conversation had a, in real life. I don't need to see it reenacted.
1: Yeah. You know, coming from somebody who had like stage three or stage four lymphoma, and at least, you know, for the time being, you know, today has beaten it. Who knows what's going to happen in a month or so. Um, I was like, I, you know, I watch this stuff to get away from having to have those thoughts. And, you know, later on, Lawrence Fishburne goes into this whole monologue about how his wife's going to die and he's not ready for her to die. And I'm like, yup, <laughs> I know how you feel. The ability to generate yeah. empathy via storytelling is, impre- is to be commended. Um, you know, I got through it. It's it's not – and I'm not joking when I, when I say that. I don't really want to – you know, there's a great movie about cancer, uh, American Splendor. Uh, with Paul Giamatti, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but he gets cancer. He's a, he's a comic book artist. He gets cancer, and he goes into this depression. And his girlfriend says, "No, we're going to beat this," and she encourages him to create art and you know, in comic books about how he's feeling and you know how the chemo makes him feel. And I remember as I was going through it, I kind of I, I didn't rewatch American Splendor. I remembered enough of the movie. Uh, to help me in those moments when I felt the way that he felt or the, the way that he was portrayed in the movie. Um, but, it, I, but again, I, just, I don't need to see it now, and I, and I don't need to see other shows that bring it up. And I feel like between real life, like I listened to the Jim Cornette podcast today, and he was talking about Lance Russell who just passed away. Well, his daughter apparently just lost her battle with cancer. And it's like every time I hear stuff like that, it's it's like a, it's like just a reminder that I had to deal with this myself and may still have to deal with it again in the, in the near future. And it's like, I, I don't want to be reminded of that. I would prefer to, you know, let, when the train hits me, I'll deal with it. Until then, I would prefer to forget that I'm on the track. You know what I mean? Um, that doesn't necessarily true. have to do directly with this show, but it definitely... This was a rough episode for me to get through for that reason.
0: That's fair. Uh, I don't think I have anything else again. Lawrence Fishburne actually getting to act a little bit in this episode was really nice to see. And again, he's another guy who deserves a lot of credit for taking a role that, while not as high profile in some of the other films, was certainly an important one, and doing his own thing with it. And doing it very successfully. So, all right. Ooh, that means episode six is next. Yes. Uh, this, is, this is one of my favorites.
1: This is a good one. Uh, not the least of which because it features probably my favorite working comedian today, Eddie Izzard. He's great. I, I was sad and when I could the did you. I can even like said, take
2: or
0: leave with... his character in the show. Like, <laughs> I'll explain my favorite parts of the show after of this episode after you well, do your thing.
1: It's a very understated performance for you know for a dude with like a heavy British accent. Um, but uh, the other character that shows up in the the other actor that shows up in this rather who I rather enjoy and you know and I'm like shocked she still works and I looked at I looked at her Wikipedia page today and I was like oh god she's had more more gigs than I thought she did and she's apparently won some awards for them. But uh, Anna Chomsky, who uh, was a kid actor, she was, uh, she was known, she, you know, one of, the, uh, one of her best known performances was in the movie My Girl with Macaulay Culkin, if I remember correctly. Uh, and most recently, the thing that I remember her being in is the consistently Emmy-nominated HBO comedy Veep, uh, which again, was, I was a shock when I saw her in that. It was one of those things where like, I didn't realize she got any work after My Girl. So good for Anna Chomsky. Um, But, yeah, I love Eddie Izzard. I think he's hilarious. And I was sad when The Riches got canceled after two seasons. But uh, that's neither here nor there. He shows up in this as Dr. Abel Gideon. And there's this whole storyline where they're using a form of therapy where uh, they are – he's being convinced that he's the Chesapeake Ripper – and he's not. And then there's the, well, you know, does he really believe it or doesn't he? And he eventually escapes the state hospital and murders a nurse when he does it. And so um, they have to deal with him going after her. There's also this, there's also a series of flashbacks involving uh, Anna, Anna Chlumsky who plays Miriam Lass, who, you know, Crawford puts in the field. And I don't know if it's this episode or the next one, uh, Okay, no, it's this episode where she looks at some of Lecter's. Ske- she goes to visit Hannibal Lecter. Uh, she sees his sketches, and he just up and murders her <laughs> right then and there.
2: Uh, um, you think
1: that? And, okay, that's right. She he knocks her out because there's because what what is revealed I think throughout this episode uh, and the next one is there's a recording of her scared to death. Uh, and thinks, you know, she doesn't want to die this way, that keeps being played for Crawford via cell phone. So anyway, it's a great episode. Uh, I really, really enjoyed this. The uh, do, the guy that plays Dr. Frederick Chilton, who runs the state hospital, uh, the actor uh, as well as Barza. What a scumbag. Um, really enjoyed his oh performance. He's I so smarmy.
0: I love his performance, in large part because – this is another one of those roles that if you were to tell me that someone was trying to play Frederick Chilton after the... And by his own admission, mind you, I mean, that, that role in Silence of the Lambs completely altered the career trajectory of Anthony Held, who plays him in Silence of the Lambs and does such a glorious job with it. I would think that's one of those things that's like an almost untenable position. Like, you've got a do this scumbag who was already done in this glorious manner, and somehow Raul Esparza manages to make it completely his own. He adopts a few of the speech patterns that Anthony Hill used, which is very subtle stuff that works very, very well because it helps make him familiar if you've you know seen the television show, or the movie. The way he does it and the and the again the acting choices he makes and the way the character is written he clearly has his own take on the type of scumbag that Chilton is that is different from the one Anthony Held portrayed in Silence of the Lambs and it's it's glorious it's it's absolutely tremendous uh, he deserves a lot of credit and this poor guy um this might be a bit of a spoiler going forward, so I apologize if it is, but um, I haven't caught up on Preacher yet, so I don't know if they've introduced the character of Hare Star on that show. If they have, they've got a lofty uh, bar to try and clear, and if you've read the source material for Preacher, you might get that reference. Um, The only other thing I want to say about this episode, this has probably my favorite moment of acting from Mads Mikkelsen. And this is also, okay, this, this ties back into things I just love about this show generally. Brian Fuller is deeply familiar with the source material in both film and movie. And he's able to use his appreciation for that and his understanding of it to twist it in the right ways. The way Miriam essentially discovers that Hannibal is the Chesapeake Ripper is actually how Will Graham discovered he was the Chesapeake Ripper in uh, Red Dragon. It's disgusting flashback. The way Hannibal comes up and attacks her is the same way he came up and attacked Will Graham. Of course, he gutted Will Graham like a fish rather than simply rendering him unconscious. But again, there's enough understanding of what that was, what it meant to be able to twist it into the format here where it still means something. Um, That that also gives, (laughs) there's this glorious bit of almost forgotten dialogue from Silence of the Lambs where when Clarice first interviews Hannibal and he you know, deduces that she is a, you know, she's not a real FBI agent. Yeah, She mentions that she's in training and Anthony Hopkins in this instance gets this slightly different gleam in his eye and goes, Jack Crawford sent a trainee to me. And in the context of that movie, it's just a line. Yeah, I mean, again, it it's essentially just a line. But for Brian Fuller to, in this instance, take what is essentially again a more forgotten bit of dialogue from a great movie and twist it into something else entirely, to that no, now it has now it has a slightly different meaning. Like Jack Crawford sent a trainee after Hannibal once before, and it became the biggest regret of his professional life. Uh, it's a brilliant bit of again just understanding the intricacies. Of these universes, and also understanding how and why to manipulate them, because so often when you get people in, a, you
2: know,
0: people trying to adapt material or whatnot, that are doing it in, they, they just change things to change things, because this would be too hard, or this would be too long, or this would be over budget. Knowing how to change things for an art for artistic purpose is a completely different ballgame, and it's one that he absolutely gets. Uh, anyway, again, my favorite bit from this episode is the end, where he, where Hannibal and Crawford are sitting around, and he gets Jack to open up about this poor girl that she sent after him, and he knows damn well exactly what happened, and he just sits there by firelight drinking his wine and torment and misery that Jack Crawford lives in based on that decision and know, knowing full well that he caused it. I mean, if you need a five-minute clip to encapsulate what is so brilliant about this series, it's those two sitting there talking, the flashback, and then the closing bit where Hannibal just kind of swirls his wine and enjoys it as he's on a whole different level enjoying the pain and misery of this other human being. <laughs>
1: Episode 7, Sorbet. Hey, I pronounced one right. Um, we've got... Uh, we've we've got uh, more of uh, Miriam Lass and um, her arm. Oh, uh, gosh. What else happens in this? Uh, oh, this is Lector the organ Murda's harvesting a- ring. Yeah. Lecter Mur... Okay. Lecter Murders is a medical examiner who once treated him rudely and removes his heart. Um, yeah, Graham is that. You know, and Graham is convinced it's the real Ripper, who is of course Hannibal. Uh, Lecter takes another four victims and harvests their organs for use at a dinner party. Um, they discover that the organ harvester is a part-time paramedic. Uh, they track his ambulance in time to save the life of his latest victim, but the arrest solidifies Graham's opinion that there was only one Chesapeake Ripper. Who's responsible for all the murders? I don't even. I don't. I vaguely remember this episode. I just remember the arm. So the I'm gonna take it over to you. The best thing about
0: this episode is the montage of Hannibal harvesting organs and then preparing them. Mm-hmm. Because it is set, and then everyone like, <laughs> because it's set to this Brian Reitzel, who does the music for this series, does not get enough credit because his musical choices throughout it are tremendous. And setting Hannibal's again collection to the music that he did was great because it, it provides an almost lighthearted sensibility to it, followed by all of them sitting around in the uh, morgue with the victims like, okay, well, we started off thinking they were organ harvesting, hence this guy with his kidney removed. And this guy who had his heart removed, who Hannibal killed. And then this one who had his liver removed, also Hannibal. Only the first one was somebody else. These are all organs that people will pay a lot of money for, and you kind of need to live. Then you get into spleen. But, don't you know, was it spleen or pancreas? I think it was a spleen. But someone had his spleen removed, which you don't actually need to live. You can live without your spleen. It kind of sucks, and there's medications you have to be on, but it's doable. And then someone who had a bunch of intestine removed. At which point the one of the other medical examiners goes, <laughs> Well, we're either looking for someone with really short bowels or the rippers making sausage. Cut to Hannibal Lecter hand cranking sausage into the intestines of one of his victims. I I still I, I laugh every time I see that scene because it appeals to my sense of humor. I, I am a dark person. That's probably why I'm single. Oh.
1: Um, all right. Anything else? Uh,
0: no. I think that's it for sorbet.
1: So, if it feels like I'm rushing, it's just because we've got a we've now got 20 minutes left, and we still have a couple episodes here, and a lot happens in these episodes. Like I said, after after from episode six and on, this gets really good. Um, a lot yeah. of my frustration with the series sort of um drifts away. Our murder of the week uh in this episode, you know I said earlier as like this, this, this i didn't I thought this would be more murder of the week, and as i 'm going through these uh, i'm i'm no, I'm noticing that yeah, it kind of is I mean with seven or eight episodes in a row now where we've had a different murder of the week here um so yeah you know, okay, I guess it is a little bit more of what I thought it would be uh, it's than, just I, than not I was giving it the credit important
0: for part of the show, which I think is the primary no. difference between expectation and reality it's simply the mechanism through which we can explore these relationships and watch Hannibal manipulate people
1: so this rather is the than guy something that crappy w-
0: like say CSI where it's all we've got
1: yeah so this is the this is our musician episode where uh we have a guy who wants to <laughs> wants to play someone and he shoves a cello neck through his mouth and I really I love, love the opening visual of this where, you know, you, you, you get this uh, pullback shot of, like, the vocal cords of an opera singer and all of that. I, I, you know, that's a fun visual. I enjoyed that a lot. Um, a little gross, but, you know, the human let, body let is what to it the is.
0: Appeal. I mean, and I know you're not a sure. big fan of
1: the gross, whereas I, like, live for that stuff. Um, I have to say... I didn't fast forward through any of this. You know, there was nothing that was so bad or, you know, so overly gross that I had to fast forward in order to better digest it. Whereas I've been watching Vice Principals on HBO and almost every time, almost every time that you had the character who plays Gambie talks, I have to fast forward through it because it's so terrible. Um, but I got to know who shot Gamby, so I'm yeah, staying with it. Two. There's a couple of, yeah, okay. there's a
0: couple of interesting parts of season two. That's
1: all I'll say. Um, so anyway, so this is a fun one because, you know, everything up to this point has been, you haven't seen Lecter do anything uh, on screen too psychotic or really admit to being what he is. And in this one, you do. This one, you have the battle of the supervillains almost. I love that. Where I love that he invites. Uh, the character's name is Tobias Budge. Invite um, <laughs> him to dinner. Yeah, and, and they both testily admit they're both murdering psychopaths, and they're like, oh, "I was going to kill you." Well, I was going to kill you, and it's like, "Okay then." And then, oh God, who shows up? Um, was it Graham who shows up? Yeah, and Graham shows sort of, up at and, that point. Right, Graham. Okay, yeah, Graham shows up. Um and ends up uh subsequently going after Tobias. Tobias nearly kills him in the process and uh I forget how uh how they finally bring him down. If he gets shot or so not. Tobias goes Oh, that's two. right. Lecter kills him. Yeah, Lecter yeah, kills yeah, him. They they Yeah, they double they double back. Uh Dan Fogler who plays Franklin uh Frodova, Uh <laughs> so what a t- <laughs> this, this character, Holy Vey. Um, you know, and crying
0: and, you incident, uh, it, because you may not remember this, but uh Dan Fogler was actually the um the wannabe baker in Fantastic Beasts somewhere to find them. Yes. And uh you ever so recognize
1: him from somewhere?
0: Another instance of a really solid actor. Because this is a very different character from that.
1: Mhm. We also have an appearance but I was never a big X-Files fan. Um, I never watched it, as a matter of fact, but, you know, uh, Jillian Anderson was quite the sex symbol in her day, and she shows up in this, as as, uh, luck would have it, Dr. Lecter is a psychiatrist, fantastic, so, in any case, so we have, uh, so Budge doubles back to Lecter's home, uh, Dan, uh, Franklin's there. Franklin tries to talk him off the ledge, and Lecter, and almost like they're like, oh my God, shut the fuck up, just snaps his neck. <laughs> he was like, but okay. I was going to kill him. They're like, eh, yeah, I saved you the trouble. Um, the other and then the again, two- another
0: instance of shocking violent action apropos of nothing <laughs> nothing visual. <laughs> like, he's trying to talk him down, and you're waiting for Tobias to do it. And then right. for Lecter to just kind of very calmly walk up and then snap.
1: Um, and then the two of them proceed to have a a fight in the house, and Lecter finally kills them, and then, you know, says, oh, they, they, they killed each other or some shit like that. No, no. Um, it was lies. Um,
0: Tobias killed my patient, and then I killed him in self-defense.
1: Right, okay. Which is shockingly um, close to the- So, I yeah, so I really enjoyed this episode. This one was fun, and I, I especially enjoyed the – because this, this this series is not exactly high on action. So it was kind of fun just to just see a good old-fashioned ballroom brawl. Uh, episode 9, of true Nerman. This is, again, another – this is one of those ones where I kept drifting in and out. I, I just wasn't interested in what was happening. Uh, this is the one with the totem of bodies, which was gross-looking.
0: I love that. Robert, I love
1: the visual say, of the bot of the totem pole of bodies. It was great. All right, talk to me. What do you give me your fifty words or less on this one?
0: Uh, not a whole lot here. Um, the bit where uh, Will decides that he's going to help cover for Abigail as well. Another bit of Lecter manipulating him into it rather than him, be, you know, acting as he would in the you know on his own. Much like you actually loved the fight between uh, Lecter and Tobias uh, Honestly my favorite Part of that is that after he has Completely incapacitated Tobias He pulls out his You know his pocket square Uses that so he doesn't get Fingerprints on the thing he then beats the guy To death with and returns It to his pocket in In its previous you know nearly Immaculate situation Before calling the police it's it's just the most Lecter thing ever. <laughs> um, it's always Epis- nice to see Lance Henriksen, as far as episode nine goes. Uh, other than that, there's some cool visuals here. But, I mean, the big thing is that at the end of this episode, we get the, I'll put this in air quotes here, reveal that Abigail was actually in on her father's murders and was luring people in for him to kill. Which was a... You really didn't need to drag that point out this long, guys. Like my biggest complaint about season one is Abigail and how long they take to get places with her.
1: Yeah. Uh, this next one, I actually, this is where we learn that he's suffering from uh, Graham is suffering from encephalitis, and I want I've been dying to talk to you about this. It's my I didn't quite understand. Why Lecter didn't want Graham to know that encephalitis was the problem. Ooh, ooh, but, more I know. To the point, but more to the point, I didn't understand why Sutcliffe agreed to that. And, and, I, and, I, and I, it's been gnawing at me since I saw it earlier today, and I've been dying to talk about this. So go ahead, enlighten me.
0: Okay, first of all, um, this episode is Brian Fuller's love letter to the HBO dramedy series Dead Like Me. I don't know how many other people may have caught that, but uh, you saw that show, right? I mean, I'm not. Nope. Right?
1: No, what? I mean, I, I know why you're saying it, but I have, I've never watched Dead Like Me. Ah, pity. I think you'd enjoy it. But
0: yeah, I mean, you have, again, the same actress playing a character who thinks she's dead in this case. And I think Fuller worked on that show. Uh, I can't. Don't quote me on that. Anyway, to get to your actual point. Lecter doesn't want Graham to be cured of his encephalitis because he wants to see what will happen. It, it, when they talk about Hannibal Lecter as a pure sociopath, again, Will like, discusses a little bit, that's only partially correct. He's never had the opportunity to observe someone up close with suffering from the effects of encephalitis, much less someone who has Will Graham's cocktail of you know, empathy and autism. He just wants to observe it for as long as possible before Will would die. He's just curious. Sutcliffe agrees to go along with it because Hannibal, another bit of very subtle manipulation on his part, points out that, you know, no one does prolonged studies on encephalitis. His friend, the doctor, being a neurologist, would love to, you know, potentially document and observe the physiological effects of encephalitis at this point on a living subject because it's never been done before he is tempted towards this path of action with the lure of being the first uh, the potential to ad- advance medical science and let's not let's also be fair that anyone Hannibal would be drawn to as a personality is probably susceptible to that kind of uh, ethical self-delusion to begin with, so exploiting a yeah, predisposition I... that this guy probably has, and then dangling the carrot of, look, no one's ever done this before. We could do that. Between the two of us, I can study what it does to him psychologically. You can study what it does to him physiologically, and we'll just make sure it doesn't go too far. When it when he gets to a point where we neither of us feel comfortable or safe, we reveal the diagnosis, we treat him, and everyone goes on their merry way.
1: It just it bothered me because they're they're essentially acting in defiance of the Hippocratic Oath and I didn't see a sufficient enough carrot there, though I didn't I didn't pick up on some of the elements that you're discussing. So I'm not I'm not debating you on that. I'm just my initial viewing of it I was like what's what's he after that's so that that would make him Break the oath that way, um, and I didn't get it. So all right, well it's fine. Um, I wish there had been a little bit more to it than that, but you know, on captured on screen, I mean, um, I'm fine. I'm fine with it as it is. Uh, maybe it could have been presented a little bit differently, but yeah, this is the one with <laughs> like if there's anything that's like truly like you know modern horror in, the, in, in any of this is this episode where you have a girl who's inspecting her house and there's a spooky thing go- happening with the roof where, you know. but she finds out there's a hole in it and there's snow coming onto it and it's, it's, it's making the ceiling wet um, and she walks back down to her bed and a hand grabs her and drags her underneath the bed and kills her and I'm like, I'm watching this going and I go, oh boy, have we taken a left turn here with this uh turns out this is Georgia McNe- uh, Madchin with a young woman suffering from medical conditions including Cotard syndrome which is a delusional disorder oh, that has a condition she's again. actually dead. You just hurt me again. Okay, that's, not, that's, that's 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 not how you pronounce it and it's, it's not Cotard Long a, syndrome.
0: Cotard.
1: It's Cotard syndrome. Cotard. Cotard syndrome. Okay. Um <laughs> and takes away her ability to identify people's faces. Uh, and you know, and Graham, he wants to actually help her and you know get get her fixed and all of that. So uh, instead of just shooting her in the face. <laughs> um, and meanwhile, back in the city, Lester murders Dr. Sutcliffe, but frames the kill to appear as if though Georgia had murdered him while following Graham. Uh, anything else on episode ten? Just always nice to see Ellen Muth get work. Uh, apart from
0: everything we already. I love that Lecter constantly manipulates everyone around him into doing what he wants them to do to satisfy his own curiosity. He constantly brings that up. Like, no, I did. Why'd you do that? I wanted to see what would happen. Can you come up with a compelling reason why I shouldn't?
1: Uh, episode and 11. No one can. We see the, <laughs> Episode 11 is the return of Eddie Izzard as Dr. Abel Gideon. He escapes from custody and begins targeting the psychiatrist who attempted to treat him, um displaying the bodies with a Colombian necktie. That's always fun. Uh this all leads up to a scene where he's provo- he is uh creating a gift basket out of Dr. Chilton for the Ripper.
2: <laughs> which I was
1: I love that. That, 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 that was a fun bit, because he's so calm about the whole thing, and he's like, I'm going to create a gift basket, and he's taking out organs and shit. Um, you know, there's so much.
0: There there really is so much that you can remove from the internal human anatomy before it starts to really break down. <laughs>
1: right. That's a quote from the show, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, at the end of it, uh, we say goodbye to Ezy Izzard as he is shot dead outside he, of Alana Bloom's house by Graham.
0: I, no, no, he's not dead.
1: Oh, he's not? He appeared to be dead when I, you know, upon viewing this episode. Don't don't stop ruining the later episodes for me.
2: Even then, they don't um, actually say he's
1: dead. They look dead to me. <laughs> he's dead, Jim. Alright, um, I, I would just want to speed this up a little bit. Anything about this episode?
0: Um, I love the Colombian neckties he leaves because that's kind of what they actually look like. <laughs> Okay. and I'm a sick sick human being. Um there's a line from Eddie Izzard's character that one of those random things that kind of you know you're going along you're just watching the show you're enjoying it and then there's this random thing that just smacks you upside the head with oh hey here's a bit of uh you know emotional blindsiding you didn't necessarily expect. Because again I am single and the mysteries of social interaction continue to elude me as a human. I am also, in many respects, lonely, and sometimes that bothers me, sometimes it doesn't. I mean, like, frequently it's like, okay, I could be alone or I could be out with people. And like, no, people suck. Just stand by.
1: But <laughs> no one sad. is entirely, you know, between, hang on, between my and No one is entirely
0: be... one thing or the other.
1: Between my lamenting cancer and your uh, Mr. Lonely Hearts routine, this is a sad, sad podcast. <laughs> no,
0: but there's, there's just Eddie Izzard. Right before Will Graham shoots him, says, "You know, you and I, we could never be in a relationship with anyone. You, know, we'd have to get out of our own head. We're already committed." Yeah. And I just kind of went, "Are you? Well, that's just like, ah, out of my head." <laughs>
1: So here's a fun fact, and we're not quite there yet. We have one more episode before that, but I, I got to share this with you. So as the series progressed in season one, it started off with 4.336 million viewers, and, the, uh, and it just went downhill by the end of the series. The season finale was the least watched of all episodes in season four, season, sorry, season one. It, it it goes from 4.36, slightly up to 4.38 in episode two. And then from there, it's a steady downward uh, trek to 1.98. How does that make you feel, Robert Winfrey? <laughs> Just, people were abandoning the show left and right.
0: I, I was deeply sad when this was canceled. Let me
1: be very clear.
0: I was even sadder when it came out that there was so many conflicting issues with who has the rights to pick it up or stream it and so on and so forth. Because there is a fan base for this show, and it's pretty devoted. And now, every now and then it gets brought up that Brian Fuller's potentially in talks to revive it, and I just have to steal from Benjamin Cologne's response. I just don't toy with my emotions, Fuller. Um, I know – again, I I understand why it was canceled. I'm more annoyed that no one – not Amazon because of their production schedule at the time, not Netflix because Amazon holds exclusive streaming rights, not a smaller network like amc no one was able to pick this up and keep running with it.
1: Well, you know, I think it was Curb Your Enthusiasm, which went away for a while. Uh, No, Arrested Development. Arrested Development went away for a while, and then it had a resurgence on on Netflix – um, but after a sustained break. So you never know. Netflix um, or Amazon, rather, Amazon would make more sense. Amazon may end up picking this up. You know? If
0: they haven't by now, they're not going to. Thankfully, various uh, contracts are about to expire because the show is like three or four years old now from its inception to today, which is why the talks about a revival are coming back around like I, I just want someone to pick it up because while the series finale could be a perfectly acceptable series finale I there's more that could be done and I would just love to see it um, but uh, again I, right. I just this one just hurt me personally because this was something I deeply loved
1: uh it does a little bit better in the second season by the way it doesn't it's not a steady downward uh trend uh there's actually two there's actually episode 1 and episode 5 that both are above a 3 uh though none, none get to the lofty heights of 4 uh and it, and while one episode does sink below a 2 it's not the final episode the final episode's about the average for the season so in the somewhere in the twos Uh, Well, to be fair, they also
0: set up the season finale for season two, I think in the first episode of season two, they start with what is essentially a flash forward to what is right before the very end of that season.
1: Episode 12. um, So uh, following an offhand comment by Graham Hannibal leaves a comb in the chamber of Georgia Mansion. And she done blows up inside the hyperbaric chamber and she's burned to a crisp. Um, This is where Graham starts to figure out that uh, all of the recent murders are the work of a copycat. um, And Georgia was killed because she may have remembered who the face, uh, the face of whoever killed Dr. Sutcliffe. Um, This is where we start to see Crawford really doubting where, where Graham is coming from. He's bothered by his behavior um, and he and he has allowed himself to be manipulated by Lecter as well. Um, he also, you know, while Graham is still trying to protect uh, Abigail, um, I think, you know, this entire time Crawford is suspicious of her in the sense that, uh, okay, I don't know if I can still be heard, but Robert says he lost me. If you can hear me, go ahead and jump in here while I figure out what's going on with why you can't hear me. Uh, hey, we seem to be having some technical difficulties. I'm not sure if it's on my end or Robert's end. Uh, let's see, Robert, can you hear me? And you hear me? Are you talking? And you hear me? Are you talking? Because I can't hear you. Let's see what Robert says. Bop, 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 bop. Uh, I can't hear you. Oh, good. We can't hear each other. I'm going to suggest he redial back in.
2: Uh
1: Let's see what happens here. I'll try might not work though. Okay. I don't know if you can hear me or not, folks. Uh Shoot, shoot, shoot. You know what? While we're waiting here and we don't know who can hear what, I'm going to go ahead and play some music. So hang on. Can Can you hear hear me?
2: Yeah, I can hear you. you.
1: Yay! Yay, Boratalk
0: connection issues, you piece of junk.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm not sure what happened there. I know it was like less than 30 seconds, and I added another 30 minutes just so we could finish up um, live on the air. So let's get ahead. Let's go ahead and get that done (laughs) before we we really have any more connection issues. Oh, yeah. I watched
0: it cut us off and like. 10
2: minutes, so
1: let's... Okay, um, anything... We were we were talking about 12. I'm not sure where you lost me or where things went dead um, or on whose side it was that had the problem, but I was just sort of going through some of the things that happened here. Um, uh, the last thing that happens is Graham takes Abigail back to Minnesota to the hunting lodge. He has hallucinations about killing her. Um... Abigail is confronted. Abigail flees from Graham and is confronted by Lecter, who admits to having killed more people than her father. Uh, And when Abigail asks if he's going to kill her, he simply says, sorry, he couldn't protect her. Presumably, she'd be dead uh, after that. So, real quick, your thoughts on um, episode 12?
0: Once again, too much Abigail. Um, (laughs) I like the. I genuinely like that, you know, Will is kind of keyed into this copycat killer. Everyone thinks he's crazy. Then they realize that he's pretty much right, and then Lecter manipulates things to the point where, no, they think it's him. Um, Which gets, they touch on that a lot more in the next episode. Um I got to give again Hugh Dancy a lot of credit for acting as a man who is going through again the, these stages of encephalitis when he's dealing with you know hallucinations and he's not sure what's real or not. We're not sure what's real or not. It's a really wonderful bit of you know acting on his part, and I am personally you know drawn to the unreliable narrator as an interesting bit of you know uh, storytelling trope there was a lot of that, and I, I do really get a kick out of Lecter at the end going "Is yeah, how many people have you killed, so this is a rational thing to ask and he just goes, oh many more than your father, and I'm really sorry I couldn't protect you and
1: her fate is and left unknown
0: for a while and,
1: and now you're lunch um, alright so,
0: eh. we come interesting that you'd assume that
1: um well, given Lecter's behavior, I don't know why it would be odd for me to have assumed that. But uh, we come yeah. to our season fin, we come to our season finale. Um, Graham is taken into custody for the probable murder of Abigail Hobbs. Uh, we have a bit, in, we we have a bit where he vomits into the sink, and out comes a severed ear. Uh, and how does that get there? And then all this evidence is planted on him. We, you know, they discover uh, human remains of the of the dead. Uh, dead bodies and his fishing lures and there's all this stuff that basically points to him as a murderer when we damn well know he isn't so you as the viewer are now yelling at the tv screen he's not the one that did it he's right there it's Adam Electra why won't anyone listen to Will Graham except that nothing is going Graham's way that's the whole episode ladies and gentlemen Uh, but we come but here we come to it we come to the the best part of the episode which happens in the last 30 seconds uh, Graham is placed in the Baltimore State Hospital for the Criminally Insane, and Lecter makes that long walk down the hallway. Uh, there's no multiple Migs to tell him that he can smell his cunt, uh, fortunately, but we do have a final face-off, literally, between uh, Graham and Lecter, and you have, and, and they both know what the other one is, and they both sort of smile at each other, and it's fucking great.
0: It is, it's the It's the possible ending, as far as this goes, because it sets up, I mean, it is visually set up uh, deliberately as an homage to that very famous scene from Silence of the Lambs, where Clarice walks down and then encounters Lecter for the first time. It's also, when they stare at each other, it's a play on a line from the novel, The Silence of the Lambs. When Clarice realizes that uh, Jamie Gumm, who she's interviewing, is actually Buffalo Bill, the line Thomas Harris uses is they looked, and and they've already had a bit of a conversation, and they saw each other. And there's all these terrifying implications that come along with that. And that's the moment we really get at the end of this episode, where Will now finally free of... You know, brain fog really sees lector for who and what he is and it's it's absolutely glorious i loved the uh there's a visual that they give throughout this episode where in the beginning i believe will hunts down and shoots the uh spectral stag that's been haunting his dreams and it's instead replaced by a creepy looking thing <laughs> That is humanoid, tall, completely black, and has horns, antlers, and it's absolutely creepy. But it's a very beautiful visual. Um, I love when he, as he after he's been shot by Jack, and he looks up and he does, you know, that whole scene where he finally puts the pieces together regarding who Lecter is. Uh, I mean, again, the last half of this episode is truly great stuff. And as for how the ear got there, they deal with that in season two, and it is, um, yeah, uh, it's a thing.
1: So uh, Demarier, uh, there's a a line in the the Wikipedia page here that says, Lecter brings dinner to Demarier where she reveals that she may know much more about him than he ever suspected. At this point, does she know he's accountable? Do you think do you know
0: at this point she just suspects that he's uh, it's hard to say exactly how much she knows at at this point, but it's uh she knows more about Hannibal than he necessarily thinks she does. Uh, And she becomes a very interesting character going into season two. And uh, mostly in season three is when she actually gets to kind of do stuff. But, no, she at least suspects more about Hannibal than the average bear.
1: Okay. Um, Here's my overall assessment of it. Um, I I liked watching it. It's a bit of a slow go in the beginning, and, you know, certainly – uh, this is not a reflection of Hugh Dancy's ability as an actor. He's great as Will Graham. It's the Will Graham character who drives me a little crazy throughout this. And so since since this revolves around him, it, sometimes the show was hard for me to watch in that sense where, you know, like you're, you have this, uh, comparatively speaking, think about the show Legion where your 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 star is unreliable. You have an unreliable narrator. Uh, through much of this, Will's somewhat unreliable. Uh, not not my favorite kind of show, but it it is good. I'm anxious to see what happens in season two. I am desperately trying to not read the Wikipedia and ruin it for myself, like I did with Game of Thrones. <laughs> um, uh, what we will we will have to talk about uh, early next year before the movie reviews start in earnest, getting uh, season two and three done. There's no no room in the schedule the rest of this year. I have filled every single day. I think with stuff. Uh, but we will definitely I will definitely watch season two and three at some point, and We will discuss them here on TV party tonight. You know, overall, as I said, it's an A show. You know, I can't give it anything but an A. Uh, the performances are fantastic. It's it's again the sort of subtlety you re- you seldom see on a network show. And, and we've talked before how much I fucking hate network acting. Um, it's, it's, even with the dramas, you know, and the cop shows, whatever, it just, feel, it, it just feels like everyone, it, it, it's written and it's acted for like the lowest common denominator. And this one, this one could have easily been on a cable TV, uh, TV station. It's that good. You know, just cable tends to have better shows than network. I'm actually surprised NBC t- took the uh, the gamble with this, you know, because like I said, I could have definitely seen this on like a or an HBO or Showtime or something. Um, but uh, you know, surprisingly enough, and we all know how much I'm not a huge fan of horror, I really do enjoy this overall, uh, despite some of the despite some of the complaints. And I'm anxious to talk about it again.
0: Yeah, you're gonna have me back for for like. Every one of these uh, I will insist on it um again, going through this again, this was the first time I'd rewatched the first season since the series was cancelled. It just occurs to me that I could legitimately probably do about an hour podcast on each episode like i if I sat <laughs> down or I could certainly do three like if you gave me a ninety minute block, I could go three episodes at a time through this entire series and be very, very. I have no lack of content. I would not run out of things to say.
1: Do you feel like we gave it too short shrift, like insultingly short shrift tonight?
0: No, I don't think so. Okay. I, th- that's so, more like I, one of those things I can just talk about. Like, There's not that many of them with me, again, Asperger's. But when you find one of them, you, it, uh, you can't get me to shut up. <laughs> this is just one of those okay. things that, like, <laughs> I could talk about for hours and hours.
1: Okay. Th- this, was, this did not touch me that way. But, again, we are not the same person. We are different strokes for different folks and different strokes for the world. Eh? Um, <laughs> and so with that said, go ahead and do your plugs.
0: Uh, this coming Saturday I will have live coverage of UFC 216 in the MMA zone of 411mania.com. Saturday we will be reviewing that particular event, and we will be previewing, let me make sure this is, we will not. Uh, that will be all we're doing on the 8th, just reviewing UFC 216. On the 15th we will preview uh, Fight Night 118. Which is like by Donald Cerrone and Darren Till. That's actually a pretty good fight.
1: Oh, go get you some, Donald Cerrone.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry,
0: my bullshit detector went off. <laughs> Uh, So, anyway, you can find me there. Uh, Thanks to everyone who follows along with all of those things. This Tuesday, Mark, you and I will be talking about Blade Runner, I believe.
1: Yep. Um, We'll go ahead and and ease into mine here, which, you know, my plugs will involve you anyway. Uh, Yes, this week, coming up on the uh, Rattles Broadcasting Network, on Monday, we'll have the source material DC meets Hanna-Barbera as judged by Josh Calandros. That's a pre recorded show. It was a lot of fun. Uh hope you all listened to it. We had a good time talking about that particular trade. Um on Tuesday is the glorious return of Damn You Hollywood uh Ooh. with Blade Runner twenty forty nine, which incidentally, um I, I I have seen other movies. I just you know didn't feel the need to um bother you about them. Uh I took my son yesterday to go see the Lego Ninjago movie. How dare which you? Which better. Which was fine. You know, it Why might would you not do that it. to I a would... child? Because he, he's three and he enjoyed it. Um, we were the only ones in the theater, by the way. We saw an 1130 show on a Wednesday, and that theater was empty. Because um, it might be but, the but,
0: worst Lego movie.
1: <laughs> it's not, it's not well-reviewed. Um, on, the, on the Sunday prior to that, I took my wife to go see American Maid with uh, Tom Cruise. Yet another movie about the Medin cartel. <laughs> By the way, like between between the American-made Snowfall and Narcos, I am up to my eyeballs in Colombian cocaine. Not really. Uh, shows about Colombian cocaine. In any case, uh, Daniel Hollywood returns uh, to talk about Blade Runner 2049. The Metal Hammer of Doom will be discussing the new Cradle of Filth. And then we'll and then on On Trial. We'll be talking about the theatrical run of uh, Blade Runner, which is available on iTunes. The next time, um, the next TV party tonight will actually be on October 17th. I will have Robert Winfrey on for that. We'll also have Robert Cooper, presumably, assuming he's not working. And we are going to talk about the second half of Voltron Season 3, otherwise known as Voltron Season (laughs) 4. Yay, naming schemes. (laughs) <laughs> um, the next Damn You Hollywood after that will be on October 24th where much to for uh, Robert's chagrin we will be talking Geostorm but, hey, that damn movie
0: comes out on my birthday, literally
1: yes it does but hey, look don't, I, d- don't, don't cry too much because on Halloween on, on all Hallow's Eve when I should be taking my kids out trick or treating I'm going to be on this stupid podcast with you talking Jigsaw which I don't want to go see.
0: So I'll finish t- – you can finish taking your kids out before 9.
1: No, I can't because I'm working till 7.30, and then uh, – so my wife's going to take them trick-or-treating around where my mother-in-law lives, and then by the time they get home, it's bedtime.
2: Well uh, – never mind. Hey, look, <laughs> you, you
0: – hey, I might have let you out of this if we'd been able to talk about it, but uh... – I'm just going to say, you know, that.
1: Jigsaw is going to be gross and scary, and I won't like it. I don't know yeah, why you're it's doing It's going to be gross. Ugh.
0: You're making me watch Geostorm. I would rather Geo- slam my hand in a door.
1: <laughs> Geostorm is going to be fantastic. All right, I've had enough of this. So that's what's going on here on the Rattling Broadcasting Network. Uh, this past week, we did an We finally got the on-trial for Ballistic X vs. Sever done, where Sean yelled at me and <laughs> said I was fooled, and all this other stuff, and I had to keep telling him, but, but I wanted to watch this movie. I wasn't fooled by anything. I genuinely wanted to know how bad it was going to be, and now I know. Uh, Look, yesterday, X vs. Metal-
0: Sever is bad, but it's not enjoyably bad. There's nothing good about it, but it's, I had a good there's time no watching reason it. to ever watch the movie.
1: I own it now. I, I had no choice. I don't do Torrents. I feel that's so badly for you. That's the word I could not remember on Tuesday. I don't do the Torrents, so I, so there was no way for me to download it, and it's not available for streaming anywhere, so I had to buy a digital copy of it from my cable provider. Uh,
0: I feel badly for you. I, again, even if you just like things blowing up, there's okay. better. And, I'm not. Okay. I'm, again, I'm not bashing you for liking things blowing up. That's fine.
1: Look, a McDonald's cheeseburger is not the best cheeseburger on the planet. I've had better, but it's still a cheeseburger. It's perfectly adequate. And Ballistic X vs. Sever, as far as explosion porn goes, is a perfectly serviceable fast food cheeseburger.
0: Your comparison does not hold water. This is not the equivalent of a fast food cheeseburger.
1: You don't hold water. I wish I held water better,
0: but uh, my prostate issues are another thing.
1: Well, with that said, folks, thank you for joining us I here that on. I knew would
0: do it. I knew that would do it.
1: <laughs> thank you for joining us on TV Party tonight and our discussion of Hannibal season one. We will be back with uh, Hannibal season two probably in January. We'll we'll sit down and we'll figure out a schedule as it gets closer to uh, December. I don't I don't feel the compulsion to start working on January of eighteen quite right this second. So, for Robert Winfrey, who was uh, gracious enough to join me, I am your mandated reporter, Mr. Mark Rattledge, for the Rattledge and Broadcasting Network's presentation of TV Party Tonight Hannibal Season 1. Be well, be safe, and behave. <laughs>